Oh, wait, we're live. Hey, everybody watching us on YouTube and in our Facebook group. Welcome to the Michelle Mission, Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. My name is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as always, I am joined by my partner. Hey, this is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, uh, wow, look, look, Vince, I'm getting a call right here live on air. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. All right. We deaded that. The beauty of doing yes. the show live, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, today is June 2nd. On Tuesday, June 2nd, and with with June comes African American Music Appreciation Month, as Barack Obama calls it. But Jimmy Carter, President Jimmy Carter, when he kicked it into place, called it Black Music Month. Which, All right. Which seems to roll off the tongue a little bit better than African American Music Appreciation it Month. It does. Yeah. That's right. You would never That's know. That's what I call it. You would never know that uh, Barack Obama had more swag than Jimmy Carter. <laughs> right. <laughs> you look at right. those titles. So the Michelle Mission is proud to celebrate Black Music Month, and we are kicking it off today with our review of Vince's selection, Fame from 1980, starring Irene Cara, Gene Anthony Ray, and don't blink, Debbie Allen. Yeah, how about that? <laughs> but before we get into that, we want to first, uh, we just want to send out our thoughts and prayers to each and every one of you out there, all of our Michelle missionaries and all of your loved ones um, who are dealing with some very riotous times, some very torturous times, some very arduous times that have overtaken our country uh, in the past few days. Um, it is no secret that in the wake of the murder of one George Floyd, that the all of America has erupted in protest all across the states, as well as, let's to be fair, uh, a bit of looting as well. And I, I, I don't know about you, Vince, but I, I can honestly say that I never would have imagined that I would feel almost like apprehensive to go outside of my house right now. It is really yeah. crazy right now. Yeah, yeah, it is, and and you know, it's 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 interesting that that it's interesting how perspective changes. Mm -hmm. you, you know, I, I think I, I think you know, just starting where you said where we feel apprehension, right, about going outside. Just you know, frankly, being of a certain age, I was um, I, I was talking to you earlier and. And and just my friends in general, like I have, uh, you know, my nephew w was out in in West Philly, right? And and you you know protesting, and there was pepper spray involved, and and my you know, and that's my blood nephew, and then my nephew, one of my best friend's sons, is in Detroit, mm -hmm. and and there was tear gas, you know, he and his girl were out protesting in Detroit, and it really is this moment. Where where you do almost feel like 
you're worried about other people. Yeah. You, you know, like you feel this concern for yourself and you're worried about other people. I, I know back to, um, to, to my friend's son and, and, you know, my, my nephew and we were talking, you know, my, me and my boys were talking back and forth. And one of my boys said, could you just tell them to stay inside? Right. Like, like, do they have to participate? It's not safe. And, and I had to chuckle because the, the funny thing is, you know, people long enough, mm-hmm. you know, them through all the seasons. So I had to remind my friend of a group of surly young men who slept in shanties to protest apartheid mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. you know, like took over the George Washington street bridge in DC because of um, what happened with Rodney King. Right. Right. And you, you, it's just the seasons, and and it is you. It, it is you. Kind of change perspectives. I th- I think it's sad that our children and our nephews and our nieces and young people and and people who feel moved to be out in the streets still have to do the same thing that we did. Yeah, when we were you know young, but like like we were saying, these are the times. <clears throat> You know, these are the times. Yeah, most definitely. Um, and and, and it's, but as as sad as it is that these things have to happen, the fact of the matter is is that these things have to happen in order for there to be talk. a a change. Um, the change that we all want to see come. These things have have to happen in uh, in order for them to take place. Uh, and we can only hope that, you know, let's, let's be, be real. The majority of what's going on out here. Yes. There is some violence in these streets. We're, we're not, not going to hide from that. And some of that violence is just righteous fury being enacted in as, as has happened since the the dawn of time, and some of that, is, and some of the violence is just knuckleheads being knuckleheads, you know, for lack of a better word. But the fact of the matter is, is that the majority of what is happening out out there is that the breaking point has been reached, and right, and what you are seeing is what happens when all of that explodes, all of that that has been bubbling up and to be fair has been bubbling up not just in the black race though there is certainly a whole lot of hellfire that is that is stewing within each and every one of us um but it's there's reasons why you see that there are people of all different colors marching in these streets as well and i think what it is is just this boiling that has been happening unfortunately over the last few few years i mean no stuff goes back years years upon years of, of, about you know police brutality and speaking about it uh, uh, against the cops sometimes especially doing these movie reviews i'm amazed to watch movies back from the 50s and the 60s that have commentary about black people being apprehensive about the cops. You know, this is not a oh, new yeah. thing. Oh yeah. You know? So that has always been, that has always been it there. But when you think about the perfect storm of, of, of insanity that has been happening right now in, in this country because 
of the insanity that has been allowed to take hold of our government, our government uh, institutions as well. This stuff was bound to happen. And to a degree, as, 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 as mad as I can be and, and am about it, there's a, there's also a part of me that is enjoying a little bit of watching some stuff burn. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I think this re- revolution is ugly. Mm-hmm. Revolution is messy. Uprisings are ugly. Uprisings are messy. And you said, you, you know, you trace this kind of thing back to the end of time. This, there's nothing more American than breaking shit. Right. To get, you know, change. I, I mean, everybody's been on social media. Everybody's been on the internet. Everybody has seen how... If you just start with America, with the Boston Tea Party, this is how things happen. You you know, I know we like to I know we all like to wring our hands and be upset when it's black people who exercise their American right to break stuff. But as we enter into, you know, it's Black Music Month, but it's also Gay Pride Month. That's right. And as you know, you know, the reason that we commemorate it now is because of Stonewall. Mm hmm. And Stonewall was a riot, if you will, an uprising, if you will. So this is, unfortunately, this is how things get done. Yeah. This and it's ugly and it's and it's brutal and 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 look, I tell you what, it's not so ugly and it's not so brutal. As of this taping, we talk about they arrested the one officer who murdered George Floyd. There are three other officers who have not been arrested. I know. They've not arrested anyone who murdered Breonna Taylor. Nope. In Louisville. So this is how it works. And as we said last week, and I think it has particular uh, credence today as uh, the officer who murdered Philando Castile was found not guilty. Mm -hmm. Just because you get arrested doesn't necessarily mean anything. That's right. Aaron Fry watching us on YouTube. What's up, Aaron? Said COVID-19 and the looters is a bad combo. The peaceful protesters are absolutely righteous. Yeah, you're right, my friend. Most definitely. Yeah, you are. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So with all of that, we hope that each and every one of you are safe and sound wherever you're checking us out. Right, right. Let me just just say this, Lynn, because I did want to say this. Y'all take care of yourselves. Like whatever it is that you need to do, to participate, you do. Um, if you need to unplug, and 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 you know, frankly, I say this speci- specifically to black women mm. because I have noticed it's a lot of sisters around me that you you know, Aaron just mentioned COVID nineteen, and we talk about caretakers in the black community, and we talk about it affecting us disproportionately. Let's be real; that's black women who are dealing with that. Amen. Dealing with relatives who are in the the service industries, who are nurses, who are CNAs. And then to compound that, dealing with this as well. Mm -hmm. Like I see a lot of people dealing with this. And I think we need to be able to give ourselves permission to unplug if you have to and recharge. Yeah. Yeah. And and and, you know, take care of yourselves, y'all. Seriously, take care of yourselves first. First and foremost. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, hey, Vince, you ready to talk some movies? 
I'm always ready to talk about some movies. Cool. We got some talking. We got feedback from each and uh, all of our missionaries who hit us up. Email us at michellemission at gmail.com or follow us in all of our social medias, especially in our Facebook group. We got an email. Vince, let me go here. We got an email from Mo Poplar. Hey, what's up, Mo? What makes a black movie? Hmm. Now, y'all brought up To Kill a Mockingbird. Now, I'm a little on the literary side, so when I saw Pleasantville, a 1998 film, don't ask me why. Oh, yeah. I saw parallels with To Kill a Mockingbird. Modern-day white kids get sent to the 50s by Don Knotts, well, maybe, maybe in his last performance, but it's like Leave It to Beaver movies 50s as they bring their modern day, their modern ways to the movies 50s. People turn from black and white into color. They become colored. So, of course, the black and white people start banning the colored white people and segregate them from the black and white white people. This was a weird and interesting movie that was trying to say something. Now, I'm not saying you should watch Pleasantville in the next 100 movies because y'all are <laughs> long overdue on Six Degrees of Separation, Philadelphia's oh. own Will Smith's best movie performance. Yeah, I said it. Yeah. But I'm yeah. just oh, yeah. curious if either of you have seen Pleasantville, and if so, is it a black film? It's got colors. Hope you brothers, <laughs> friends, and family are safe and sound. Love and prayers to all listening. Mo. <laughs> have you did you see Pleasantville? I have seen Pleasantville. I have seen Pleasantville. And listening to Mo's as always, very thoughtful interpretation of that film has made it makes me want to reassess and watch the film all over again. I'm not gonna lie. I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna lie, man. I don't know if I would call it a black film, but it's a good. Uh, it's a really interesting film. Like it's one of those really neat little films they made in what is that? Like Pleasantville is like what? I feel like that's late nineties. Late nineties, nineteen ninety eight. Late, yeah, late, late night, like that. Really, it was like that nice little sweet spot mm -hmm. where they were making. It's like that, and uh, you know, my other joint. Um, ah, uh, you know what I'm thinking about, Jim Carrey. Oh, the Truman Show. Truman Show. I was actually not thinking about the Truman Show, but that falls under it too. Oh, Jim Carrey's not an internal um, sunshine of the spotless mind. Yes, he is eternal. Yes, he is. I'm also. Eternal, right. Like, there was those weird kind of genre-bending movies in the late 90s that you got. Okay. And I like Pleasantville. I do, too. I like Pleasantville a lot. I do. Yeah. Now, we have talked about possibly um, one, maybe a month or maybe just throwing in every once in a while a movie that we would put under the title of Invited to the Cookout. So, right. Even though I hate that name. I love that name. But it's... <laughs> yeah, I don't... Yeah. If I remember, I think you came up with the name. I very much did not come up with that name because I hate that whole concept. Okay, probably I do. I, maybe I came up yeah. with it. That tracks. So anyway, we came up with this idea of movies that are, are could be considered black films if looked through, right. through a particular lens or two. 
Right, right. Like we would read them black. Right. You might they might read black. Right. And I was just go ahead. I was just saying, like according to Mo Popular, Pleasantville might fit under that distinction. I think it very much would. I think um I'm trying to remember how much music figured into Pleasantville. Like I know they um I'm trying to remember who starred in Pleasantville. Man, I can't even remember. I'd, I'd, I'd have to see it again. They, it, they, they're all. But I know they introduced sex to them. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Like, I remember the female star kind of introduced sex. And when you think about how, how 50s, the kind of Eisenhower white society was basically brought into the 60s, mm-hmm. obviously, black culture, even if we're just talking about rock and roll, plays a large part in that. So, yeah. You know, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. You know me. I say Blade Runner is the blackest movie that's ever been made with no black people in it. And that's all we're going to say about Blade Runner on this show. All right. Next. It's about passing and escape slaves. There you go. That's all I had to say. All right. Thank you. For now. (laughs) Lance Hansen hit us up. Hey, what's up, Lance? Thank God for Mother May I. Your review (laughs) of The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh was fantastic. Vince's story story about going to the movie with his father was just the type of personal detail that makes this show so special to me. It reminded me of my own dad, who used to take my brother and I to every Burt Reynolds, Pink Panther, James Bond, and Mel Brooks movie. Of course, I never saw any Disney movies, and naturally, we went to see The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh. <laughs> God bless the 70s dads. Yeah. Yeah, 70s dads are fa- were fantastic. 70s dads were fantastic. They, they were a lot more um, free range. <laughs> <laughs> they were a lot more free range. Like, I'll see stuff now and, like, see the year that it was made mm-hmm. and say, why was I watching that? But, you know, sitting there with dad. <laughs> sitting there with dad. Uh, let's see. We also heard from Francie Russell, who hit us hey, up. Hey, Francie. First, just thank you so much for such an excellent podcast. I mostly hate podcasts, oh. but have just loved... <laughs> But I've just loved the episodes of yours that I've listened to, especially Nothing But a Man, one of my favorite films that too few people by far have seen. I loved your reading of it. I'd be extremely curious to hear your take on uh, Cirque's Imitation of Life, a movie that I think is about whiteness as a fantasy and especially white femininity. Thank you and take care in this wild and weird world we're all in now. Yeah, yeah. So she's talking about the the fifties imitation of life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is also on the list we gotta get to. Yeah, talking about a black film with very few black people in it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, because it's been a while since we did the first one. It's been it. It has been a minute. It has been a minute. And yeah, so, it's so I guess we we I guess we're you know we'll look. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. We got to get it. So we have the couplet. So we had a match set. You'll notice, I've I've noticed now, like, people who come to the show Mm -hmm. listen in clusters. Yes. They listen like clusters. 
So we got to finish the loop. So now you can have the imitation of life shows. Well, you know what it is? People look for the movies that they either love to see what we think of them or they'll look for movies that they've seen and have a good appreciation for so that they can listen to the review and it, they can be like reminded like, oh, yeah, I remember that part. I remember that part. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. And then they'll look for movies that they've never seen before and they'll be like, oh, okay, that sounds kind of cool. I like that. I like that. Right, right, right. Steve Tozen said that in these crazy up, times that I'm going to have to listen to some Michelle Mission reviews of Tyler Perry to get through the day. <laughs> well, you can't go wrong with that. No. No. <laughs> You can't. You can't go wrong with that. Rock and roll, Steve. All right. Now, in in regards to our review tonight of Fame, which we're going to be reviewing, um, Deborah Battle, longtime listener of the show. Hey, what's up, Deborah? She hit us up. She wants to know: Is Fame a black movie? Well. Well, <laughs> that that will be the discussion, won't it? That will be the discussion. But she she has. We don't want to spoil it. <laughs> no, we don't. We, we don't want to spoil it. She says that in the spring of 1980, I knew this movie was coming out from magazines and movie trailers. I begged my mother to let me see the movie, even though at the time I was only 11 years old and it was an R-rated movie. She gave oh, yeah. in. Yes, sir. And since that summer, it has been on my top five list of favorite movies of all time. As I watched the movie, all I wanted was to go to a high school like the one in the movie. In the summer of 1983, I got the chance when I auditioned for the theater department at Duke Ellington School of Arts and was accepted. One big difference. Oh, my niece went to Duke Ellington. Get out of here. Really? Wow. Yeah. Deborah's from D.C. apparently. One big difference, the lunchroom scene. If you... <laughs> if you were there without getting permission for, from a teacher or a vice principal, you could get detention or suspended from school. <laughs> That's what I said. I said, where is the faculty? Where is the this dis- is just chaos? Well, that's what I said. Where's the discipline in this school? I was about to say, what kind of school is this? I'm like, my girl, I don't you don't need to go to this funky school. <laughs> People just running wild. People getting pregnant. <laughs> People talking sass to the teachers. <laughs> it's a lot of sass talk. A t- dude. Dude, dude, see, I went to Catholic school. You was not raising an eyebrow to them nuns. Not only that, we're going to get into it, but I forgot that they established at the audition that Leroy couldn't read. <laughs> like this afternoon, this afternoon, Wendy was like, I can't believe he, you know, he came to the hospital and is yelling at her while her husband is in there dying about him needing to graduate. When I was like, well, she had four years. <laughs> like everyone knew he couldn't read. This one, no secret. Nobody cared. 
Now he trying to get a job with Alvin Ailey. <laughs> now she won't talk about the kids and thinking about her. This man been illiterate for four years mm. and no one has said anything. Mm. And she obviously they the only no she obviously the only English teacher. So in the whole school, so what does that say about her? Right, she in charge of reading. And then I have to say, as a teacher, when he said he wrote a thousand words on Playboy, and then she said that's not a book. That's I said that little brother wrote a thousand <laughs> words. You got to give him credit. Exactly. Regardless of what he wrote on, because he can't read. Oh, God. I feel like that should have rung more alarms <laughs> with people. Oh, <laughs> no one is concerned about his illiteracy. Dude, there should have been alarms going off all over this movie. Man. <laughs> about lots and lots of things. <laughs> nothing, but you couldn't even listen to it. It'd be nothing but alarms. <laughs> First of all, why are the students 35 years old? <laughs> Don't nobody have any questions about these old Bruh. students? Coco is premenopausal. <laughs> hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. We're burning the lead. We, we got to get to it. All right. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. But yes, Deborah, I suspect that the lunchroom at Duke Ellington School of the Arts was a little different from the post-apocalyptic wasteland in fame. Um, before, real quick, before we get to our review, I do want to invite people that there are if you have cable or subscribe to Turner Classic Movies, there is a film that is available on demand there called Black Girl. Mm. You know about the movie Black Girl, Vince? Yeah, yeah, but go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, Black Girl. Not to be confused with what we reviewed. Oh, not to be confused with Black, I think that was Brown Brown Girl Begins. I think that's the movie you're thinking about, Vince. No, 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 we did Black Girl, remember? Black Girl, remember? Remember with the little sister who was dancing and Leslie Uggams came home from school to get her? Oh. And then the one sister pulled the knife on her? That's right. That's right. That's right. 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 That's right. Right. That's a different movie. That was a different movie. Yeah. The movie that, it, it, that's the movie that we reviewed. The movie that is uh, screening on Turner Classic Movies this month, Black Girl, is a 1966 French Singalese film by writer director Usmane Sabine. And I'm, please forgive me if I'm mispronouncing the name. Um, this film, which tells the story of, it's a movie about black women, black girl or woman. I'm reading directly from Wikipedia here. It centers on Diana, a young Singalese woman who moves from Dakar to uh, France to work for a rich French couple. In France, she hopes to continue her former, her former nanny job and anticipates a cosmopolitan lifestyle. However, but from her arrival in France, she experiences harsh treatment from the couple who force her to work as a servant. Um, 
it is a a very acclaimed film that is streaming on Turner Classic Movies right now. Uh, and I invite you all to look at to look it up. It's available on demand, um, so it actually is fired up for me to watch after mm-hmm. we finish our recording because it's a film that I have heard a, a great deal about, but I had never seen. Yeah. So when I saw yeah. that it was on Turner Classic Movies, I was actually very like enjoyed uh, joy, that. I was like, oh man, all right, I, I know what I'm be eating and watching tonight. So. So I can't wait to check it out. Um, Blue Girl 718 says that it is a fantastic film. Love um, Black Girl. So th- thank you for co-signing on YouTube. Um, I am definitely going to be checking that out. Uh, so and I invite you all, all right. to check that out. Okay. All right. And we also invite you, if you like what you're listening to, ladies and gentlemen, please go to YouTube. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel as the Michelle Mission will be going up up there live every every solitary week <laughs> right now we are doing our show live on youtube <laughs> and on the michelle mission facebook group for each and every one of you to check out so please subscribe so you do not miss our show also join the facebook group michelle mission follow the michelle mission on instagram and twitter uh stay involved shout out to our social media coordinator toya haynes who has been rocking out doing yeoman's work. Um, What's up, Toya? Yeoman's work uh, since she came on like about a month ago. So shout out to her. And uh, email us all of your thoughts at michomission at gmail.com. We love to listen and hear from all of our fans. All right? And stay tuned at the end of the show where we go through exactly what we will be covering this month for Black Music Month. This way you can all like, you know, get your your watch on. You can, you know, schedule the films that you're going to be watching all month long. Okay? All right. Let's get into our review of Fame. I'm going to live forever. I'm going to learn how to fly. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. no Mickey Mouse school. You're not getting off easy because you're talented. You work twice as hard. Now, I don't care how well you dance or uh, how cute you are or how many colored tutus you have. If you don't give your academic subjects equal time, you're out. For Coco, it's the stardom. For Ralph, it's a chance. For Leroy, it's survival. For Lisa, it's the dance. Bruno, this is our big chance, man. Don't you want success? They've got nothing in common but a dream. So you want to be an actor, huh? Yeah, sure I want to be an actor. Judy, Judy, Judy. A dream that one day, the whole world will know their name. Because I'm going to be a dancer, a good dancer. You know who says so? Me. A dream of fame. Fame, it's the dream of instant success. I'll have $40,000 a week, I'll have a hit TV series, I'll have my face on the cover of TV Guide. And the constant reminder of failure. I don't think you'll ever be good enough, Lisa. But I don't know what I'll do if I can't tap. When I'm down and feeling blue. It's dedication. Dance is not a way of getting through school. 
It's a way of life. And frustration. It's stage fright. And opening nights. Kids are into sex a lot earlier in the South Bronx. Like about 6 a.m. It's love. Through a cold, dark night. It's pain. All anyone ever promised you was seven classes a day and a hot lunch. It's contagious. You want to know what's happening to me, man? Success, all right? Now you either hang on or you hang up. It's outrageous. It'll change your name. I'm becoming an actress. But I want you to be the Doris that I know. It'll change your life. I'll pay my dues on the West Coast. Come back to New York as a star. If they've really got what it takes, it's going to take everything they've got. Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer presents an Alan Parker film. Fame. Fame, a 1980 American teen musical drama directed by Alan Parker, set in New York City. The film chronicles the lives and hardships of students attending the High School of Performing Arts, known today as Fiorello... LaGuardia High School from their auditions to their freshman, sophomore, junior and senior years. This film grossed over $42 million worldwide when it was released in 1980 from a $8 million budget. And while it received a mixed response from reviews, it was a critical hit with, uh, with audiences. It stars among others, Irene Cara, Eddie Barth, Laura Dean, Boyd Gaines, Albert Haig, Steve Inwood, a blink and you'll miss her, Debbie Allen, and the enigma that is Jean Anthony Ray. <laughs> we'll definitely probably... I don't know if he left much to imagination. That's very true. Very true. Uh, this film, which features uh, music by Michael Gore and cinematography by Michael uh, Sarazen, was Vince's selection for yes. to kick off our celebration of Black Music Month. Vince, what say you of 1980s fame? Fame, I think, is... is is a really fascinating film in pop culture, mm -hmm. frankly. You, you know, obviously we'll talk about its place in black pop culture, but pop culture generally, because in a lot of ways, as far as I can think, this is the template for a type of teen movie mm -hmm. that has just kind of become almost, uh, uh, you know, just just one of those 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 type of films that they churn out you know a school of the arts film you know and specifically a high school school of the arts film and the kids they can sing they can dance they play instruments it seems like if you've had a kid if you've had a kid in your house over the past decade 
Nickelodeon and the Disney Channel have versions of this yeah. all the time. Yeah. The teens, in, and as you said, it's set in a high school. And coming at it from that perspective, it is a little jarring because this is a gritty film. Mm-hmm. This, this is a gritty, gritty film. This is a no-nonsense film. This is a film that is not, this is not a star is born or, or, or a film where it has a, a, a rags to riches story. Right. And frankly, when you look at the, the, the production of this film and, and what went into Alan Parker trying to get permission to film at the school of arts and there was resistance to film at the school and to have their students involved initially I have to wonder if that had to do with the storylines mm-hmm. and had to do with the scripts. Because, again, this is a pretty bracing look at the life of an artist in New York City in basically the late 70s. I know it's 1980. Right. But, you know, I like we've talked about this before with certain films. Uh, specifically, I'm thinking about something like um, Trading Place, not Trading Places, 48 Hours. Mm-hmm. Where even though they're made in the 80s, and you know, technically this is the cusp of the 80s, it's 1980, it feels like a 70s movie. Right. Like there's this, you know, kind of verite to it and, and the grittiness and, and the New Yorkness that it feels like a, a, a 70s movie. And I think the fact that it is so sort of unflinching and and unforgiving in its depiction of a life in the arts coupled with it being about young people mm-hmm. makes it stand out. Like this is a film. This is an actual film. I think Alan Parker is a well-renowned filmmaker. You can tell just his direction. Like this is a, this is a, a director who's very assured, yep. who has a vision, who is in control. And let's be clear. These are dancers and singers and musicians throughout this film which are difficult to shoot. Yep. And, you know, scene to scene to scene, Alan Parker, I thought, did a great job. The script, I don't know if the script is anything really to write home about. I think the script kind of serves its purpose. There's There are no actual moments of dialogue, for the most part, that jump out at me because this is a film that is about performances. This is a film that, that really is about these performers and their talent. And and I think one of the really smart moves, one of the, the many smart moves that this film makes is its casting. Yep. Yeah, the and, cast is good. And, and, you know, Irene Kerr, there's our second time seeing Irene Kerr. And, you know, I think we might be halfway through Irene Kerr's <laughs> filmography, <laughs> frankly. You're right. You know, like she shows up in DC Cab, She's in another film. She's in the thriller that w- that was just on the tip of my tongue. And of course, we saw her in Sparkle. Mm-hmm. The original Sparkle. But Irene, the original Sparkle. And Irene Cara as Coco is, 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 you know, she's this on, you know, she's this young talent at this school. And, you know, in 2020, I think you can predict her arc just because we've seen this story. Mm-hmm. But again, I don't know how often we saw this story in 1980. Right. This might be the see, trope that being set. 
the exactly where you see this young singer this young musician you know this young artist and she's tough as nails and she seems to know her way around everything and then she ends up in this very precarious position but again Irene Cara I don't think was ever in the running to win an Oscar for her acting Mm -hmm. in this Gene Anthony Ray, same thing. I think Gene Anthony Ray, it, it, it's funny. We got to see Gene Anthony Ray grow as an actor on the television show, Fame. And after, you know, almost a decade on the television show, I think he landed in a spot where he was serviceable on a television show. Right. At this point, he's very young in his career, but he can sometimes literally dance his ass Bruh. off. It's very true. Very true. And you completely understand him as a performer. You understand why he has it. And again, back to the unflinching portrayal of the arts. I think this is one of the few films that I've seen that point out that no matter how hard you work, no matter how disciplined you are, what separates the artists from people who kind of do this is that it factor Mm -hmm. is that talent. Mm -hmm. And they, and and they're, and, and these people who make it have talent. Um, You mentioned Debbie Allen. Debbie Allen is in one scene, one scene in the Debbie Allen is in one within the first five minutes of the movie. Like, and I think she has three lines of dialogue Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then she's gone. Which is amazing when you consider how important she is to the phenomenon of fame mm-hmm. and the television show. But we can talk about that later. And and that is really the extent of the black performers, if you will. Even Coco, Coco's character mentions that she's basically biracial, like she's Puerto Rican and black. So, you know, I'm I'm she's she's part of she's part of the squad. Right. But it really is Coco and Leroy, mm-hmm. who are the black characters. There's a teacher who you see, uh, you know, a drama teacher. I don't even know if he's ever actually named in the film. I'm not sure, but the actor is Jim Moody, a complex yeah, character. Yeah, who's, who's, who's a nice, yeah, yeah, very nice actor. Um, but I think what brings you to this film is that Coco and Leroy's stories are the ones that for me were always the most engaging. If you look at my notes from today, and frankly, if I had taken notes over the years, you'll see one thing consistently from the first time I saw this, probably when I was 11. Mm -hmm. I hate Ralph Garcy. (laughs) Like, I hate the character. I hate his storyline. I hated everything. Like, Ralph Garcy struck me as a poser throughout the film who was kind of doing this Freddie Prince cosplay. Right, right. But never really had anything to himself. There's another character, Doris, who, um, you know, I think she has the, um, she has the bulk of, of the, um, it's so funny. I'm looking at the cast. I don't even see Doris. Doris, Doris Fensecker, played by Maureen Tiffey. And uh, yes. Ralph Garcy was played by Barry Miller, just to right. And 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 Barry Miller's a, good, a nice actor, very good actor. Like I've seen him in other things, but I, I don't like him. I don't like Ralph Garcy. The irony is is in my mind the best acting in the film 
is Paul McCrane as Montgomery. Mm. Like, and, and I think Alan Parker even knows that. Like I noted this time watching it, that the film opens with him mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with his monologue. And just as an actor, I think he's the best actor in the entire cast. But this is a film that again, I don't think acting is why you come to fame. I don't think acting is why you stay with fame. I don't think acting is why we still talk about fame. I think this film does a wonderful job capturing the energy of this group of young performers. Like, like I joked um, before about it's just chaos in this school. Mm-hmm. And it is. It is. It's, it's like people burst in the song. People are playing instruments all the time. There's dancing. There's... And... It really is this wonderful chaotic energy right. that may or may not be realistic to a school of the arts, but the spirit of it is what you would think a school of the arts would have. Yes, exactly. And in that, exactly. in, in, in my mind, I think that is the greatest triumph of this film, that it captures this actual energy mm-hmm. with these actual young people you know for the most part like i said everybody in the cast looks like they're 30 years old when you look at the casting the extras are high school students you know irene Kara had graduated already did you read about gene anthony ray no i didn't did you see about G- gene anthony ray actually did go to the school of the arts and was expelled because <laughs> he was a hooligan <laughs> Which I was like, that's fantastic. So he wasn't acting. But he was just playing out his memories. He was playing out. Exactly. Exactly. But, you know, this, look, this is, this, this, this is almost blue chip film right here. Like you almost, you have to watch fame. Like there are so many iconic moments from this film, whether you're talking about Leroy's um, audition. Mm-hmm. Whether you're talking about, you know, in my mind, you know, I was saying earlier today, there are maybe two or three scenes that have stayed with me throughout my life that have kind of broken my heart. We're talking about um, cornbread getting shot. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, um, you know, Larry Fishburne dropping the orange soda. OK, we're talking about. Talking about Ramo getting electrocuted. Mm-hmm. Coco, Coco at the end of the film taking off her shirt with the with the pornographer yeah. has scarred me my entire and and you can see watching it, it's a great scene. As a scene, yes. So, yeah. It's a powerful Yes, as a scene. Right. As it's a, a powerful, powerful scene. scene. It's a it's a very well shot scene. And and yeah, you, you know, fame. Yeah, see, here's the th- it is going to live forever, and it, and I believe that it rightfully should because, as you said, um, when you were exclaiming that this is a film, from the moment this film comes on and you're introduced to the audition piece of the film, because each film the film is kind of like broken into these chapters: the audition and then each school year, freshman, sophomore, junior, and senior. The audition piece, just that opening salvo of introducing you to the energy of this school of performing arts is some masterful filmmaking. I was commenting when I was watching it about how how 
well edited and directed that mm. scene those scenes were in that the movements and sounds of one moment would provide not just a transition but commentary on the following moment moment and then uh, and then that would just keep moving on building as you're introduced to the characters introduced to the students introduced to the teachers and also introduced into just the the world of this school which like you said this is the school of performing arts that you that you hope for when you get out of middle school or elementary school and it's time for you to go to high school and you know you know what I want to go to high school but I know I want to be an artiste I want to be a dancer I want to be an actor I want to be a writer whatever it is you know that you want to you the pursuit that you want to follow is artistic and I want to go to a school that will allow that will take that seed and allow it to grow and blossom in the four years that I am there and You'd be hard pressed to say that that seed will blossom to its full bloom at just a regular high school. So this is the type of school that you want to go to. And when you see this film, this is exactly what you're, you, you want to be. You want to be in the midst of that creative energy where the the um, the violin player is providing uh inspiration to the actor who is providing some type of movement that can be mimicked by the dancer whether or not that dancer is doing ballet or modern or tap or jazz and it is just all infused right there and the editing is it's spot on it's it, it's just beautiful in the the film the cinematography i mean i'm like oh man i am here i'm here for this school and there's also has a little bit in the dialogue has a little bit of the the um the robert altman school in it where there's just little there are tidbits of dialogue happening like in the periphery that mm-hmm. you know you know you might catch a quick snippet and he's like oh Oh, that means something, you know, that that person over there is going to is going to be somebody important. And next thing you know, you're following them throughout their their four years in school. Um, So it it really uh, captured me. And while everyone you, you know, you made the joke about everybody looking like they're older than high school. That's the way it's been always been, you know, so I, that didn't bother <laughs> right. that didn't bother me so much. What I enjoyed was that the foibles that these people were um, were showing were foibles. Those felt true. Those felt honest, you know, whether it be Doris dealing with she basically is white bread. She doesn't have a personality. You know, and and without having a personality, she's trying to use, you know, um, this school as a way of finding herself, you know, where as opposed to uh, Ralph Garcy, like you said, Barry Miller's character, who's coming in in there, you believe, full of personality and this this 
it over, you know, overblown, and you can tell that a lot of what he's doing is BS, and you're just waiting for the the onion to be peeled back to reveal the the real self underneath. Um, to Montgomery, uh, who's mm. got who who has some real real demons that are that are spoken about, <laughs> you know, that are mentioned, um, you know. Uh, between him and his analyst and kind of like seemingly like a broken relationship with his mother. Right. That, that is also peppered in there. So I think those three stories really, those are the characters that you're introduced to. And those are the characters that for the most part you follow for most of the film. I think the film definitely starts to lean very heavy on Ralph Garcia's character. I think they, Alan Parker maybe Ugh. found like a, a muse of, of a sort in Barry Miller who you didn't like the character. That's because Barry Miller is doing his job. You're not supposed to like the character. You're not supposed to like him the at all. Worse, and he and oh. and he's he's doing work. He is doing work in his film so much so that the when worst. there are moments when you are asked to um, be there for him as he deals with some very deep family issues in in this film, uh, you you kind of do feel for him a little bit. You also feel for him not being one hundred percent in touch with who he is identity wise, because when you're introduced to him, you're almost introduced to him as this young kid who wants to grow up to be this Jewish borscht belt comedian. Um, until you learn that, Oh no, he's a Puerto Rican who's got some very deep stuff inside of him that he, that he is trying to find a way to, to manage. Um, I actually kind of, at the end of the day, kind of like, found myself enjoying that depiction and enjoying that story probably more so than anyone else's story in this film i agree that the story of montgomery as he searched for to be in touch with his own identity was something that was worth note and beautifully depicted by the actor portraying him, Paul McCrane. I just think that at some yeah. time along along the way of the story, the the film loses interest with him and doesn't know what to do with him. And he is there for the second half of the film just to service the Ralph Garcia story, more, more or less. I, I agree. I agree. But I do suspect some of that may have more to do with 1980. Yeah. Than anything else. Like you talked about his issues, but his big issues were were like he's a gay. Right. Right. Like he was a gay. Yeah. That was and that was the issue. Like and then that was it. Like no one really like no one really knew what to do with that in nineteen eighty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I do agree with you that the film was much more interested in Ralph Garcia than I was. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it was. The shame of it is. Like I was like, "Oh my god, please somebody else." The shame of it is, as you pointed out when you brought up this film uh last last week that we were going to be reviewing it, you were like, "Hey, when you think of fame, you think of Irene Cara, Gene Anthony Ray, 
Debbie Allen, you probably don't even think about anybody else. Maybe you think of the character Bruno because he's got the curly hair and right, he's playing the he, synth music and stuff like that. And and he is also, I believe, one of the people who would go on from the film to be in the series. Right. So Right. And he's in a lot of Coco's storyline. Right. That's right. And he is kind of like the co-star of Coco's storyline. So maybe you think of them. But the, you're right. The the it's the people of color who you do remember. And I think most people have a false memory of Debbie Allen being more a part of the film than she, than mm-hmm. she was. Um, we certainly were guilty of that as well. The shame of it is though, is that Irene Cara, definitely the star or, you know, the name of this film at the time that this comes out, you know, even though she's not a super big name, but she's still a name. Um, yeah. Yeah. But her story is not is not fleshed out at all. It really isn't. There there are bits of this story that are just left at left on the table. There is the story yeah. of where does she live? Because you're she leads you to believe she lives <laughs> one place, then all of a sudden she's dipping off into the subway. Um, I just assume she lived in the subway. I assume so too, but we don't know. I mean, right? I mean, Leroy live in the alley. Well, yes. If, if we're meant to, if we're meant to, if this is meant to be believed, Leroy lives in like some bombed out home, you know, in in in, in maybe Brooklyn or Bronx. I don't know where. Oh, I assumed it's the Bronx because it was on fire and it was 1980. <laughs> Send your letters to Vince at the Michelle. <laughs> um, no, no, no. That's how they always depicted the Bronx. They always depict. Don't send the let. Send your letters to 1980s movies. <laughs> you send it to me if you want. So you better send it to Beat Street. So you're you're left. You're left not knowing. I I, I don't think her character is fleshed out. It's fleshed out very well um because there are bits she gets into kind of like uh it seems like she has a relationship with with leroy but you don't really see a whole whole lot of them outside of dancing with one another you don't see them you know romantic in any way um right and then she seems to get into this uh back and forth with this new student this new french student who comes to to the right to the school um, who has set her eyes onto Leroy? Um, they have a little right. bit of they're fighting over e- Leroy. Yeah, and you don't. But that doesn't go anywhere. Even though uh, that story, the the French student and Leroy story, does kind of play out a little dramatically and actually in, 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 <laughs> yeah. in, in another one of those very very well choreographed and directed yeah. and phenomenally deep and insightful and painful scenes as well. Yeah. Um, I actually enjoyed that. Um, And when she goes to get an abortion, when she goes to get, get the abortion because you're, you're introduced to that in a way that you don't know what she's doing. She's just speaking to herself about where she wants to go in her life. And uh, that is ultimately punctuated by her saying that, you know, there's no room for a baby. Um, I I mean, you, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Go, go, go. I, I, like I said, I don't think any of the acting across the board is that great. Besides Paul uh, McCrane, who I think is actually a good actor throughout. But there are really nice moments that I think are a testament, as you've mentioned, to Alan Parker. Mm-hmm. 
and the way the the you know the the scenes are kind of blocked out in in shape and the script that monologue you're talking about I actually think that it is a great kind of oscillating of tones yep when the girl who comes and and auditions with Leroy <laughs> has her breakdown afterwards where it is like it does this it has this wonderful alchemy where it's both funny and sad yeah all at the same time yeah yeah because she is ridiculous like she's actually ridiculous mm -hmm. when she performs mm -hmm. but that actress really gets across that a she didn't think she that she was like she actually thought she could dance going in and b going in and b like her heart is broken like her dreams are broken you know again back to one of the first things i said about this is this is a film that does not sugarcoat this life no it doesn't there are moments throughout this film where teachers and and the world are telling these kids you don't have it yeah and then that's the end of the conversation you know there's a there's a character who's thrown out of the dance department that's and lisa. you get the sense that maybe lisa and you think that maybe she's going to commit suicide another great scene mm -hmm. on the subway um, there's a you know again the scene with the woman with Leroy, and then again there is no happy ending. Like they all graduate from high school, but Ralph Garcia has bombed and he's well on his way to self destruction. Yeah, Montgomery has sort of you know maybe made some peace with himself, mm -hmm. but he's still in this apartment that his mom has bought him. Hey y'all, he's 17, 18 years old. He's by himself. Right. I guess Leroy graduates. I guess. I mean, he's in the, like, he's in the final performance. Yeah. So I guess he graduated. I hope Alvin Ailey don't have, have I don't, like, I hope he don't have to fill out no forms <laughs> for Alvin Ailey. Like, I hope he just dance. And Coco, I mean, Hopefully she's not into pornography now, but we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. Even though I will say about that, you're right. And you mentioned it earlier, the scene of Irene Cara with the pornographer, which it which when it when it happened in the film, because I I have no recollection of whether or not I ever saw this film, right? Okay. But when I saw that scene coming up, the second I saw the pornographer sit down next to her in the um, in the diner, I said, I don't know if I've seen this movie, but I've seen what's ha about to come. I've seen right. this, you know, and 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 again, that is one of the more disturbing and arresting and long lasting images from this film. Uh but depending on who you are, which way you look at it, you might feel like this film is, is lets you down a little bit. We mentioned about how it doesn't really follow through on Irene Cara Coco's story about whether or not where she lives or not. Well, you see her in the midst of this pornographer and you see her before the camera being, you know, psychologically abused into removing her clothes before the camera. Um, and then the scene cuts. 
And then you do not see her again until she is singing triumphantly at the graduation. And there's an argument to be made, okay, there, there's a couple of beats in here that I might want to see. Like, you know, I don't necessarily need to see what played out after she started crying, but I may want to see what is her response to it. You know, see, see her dealing with it. But then the argument could also be made that her going to the graduation and singing with all of our heart out is her dealing with it, you know? Right. I, I, I read it as it's, it's, it's consistent with the unknown yeah. with all of them. Right. Like the unknown, like, like by the end, you do have these five principles, Montgomery, Ralph, Doris, Coco, and Leroy. Mm-hmm. And each of them is sort of in this precarious sp- space at the end. You know, even the, the the three people, you know, Montgomery and Ralph seem like they've kind of gotten this, you know, Ralph kind of playfully kisses him, which kind of says, okay, well, well, he's not, you know, he's assured, he's sure enough of himself that he can play like this. Uh, Doris, looks at Ralph, but doesn't really talk to him. And you don't get the sense that she's going on Broadway necessarily. I actually liked it. Like, I actually like this unknown. I like this, you, you know, it's, it's almost, it's the, it's the fruition of the foreshadowing that you got with the earlier student mm-hmm. who graduated and got the scholarship and he's going to be, you, you know, managed by William Moore's and yeah, yeah, he's got means. And then you see him an hour later and he's back in New York waiting tables, mm-hmm. which in, in my mind, and, and you can attest to this. I, I think this is the life of a lot of artists. Amen. Like you, you just don't know. Yeah. You, you just don't know. So I, I will say this too, just one more note about that scene with Coco. I paid special attention this time watching it because I have seen this film two or three times. I think it is a testament to Alan Parker and to Irene Cara. I said I wasn't really blown away by her acting, but I think it is a testament to both of them that it is jarring. Yes. That Coco looks like a little girl in that scene at the end mm-hmm. because she's such this imposing figure throughout the film. Like, like every scene that she's in, like, like there's that great moment in, in, in the cafeteria that Deborah, Deborah was talking about where they break out into song mm-hmm. and it's chaos and it's, you know, people everywhere. And she takes control of the entire situation Yeah, and is singing like she's the voice of the school and you know she's the one who gives advice to people and she's kind of strutting through new york like i love the scene there's a scene where she and bruno are are down on um like broadway it looks like Mm -hmm. and she's kind of strutting through the streets eating a hot dog and dispensing advice and and then you get to the end at this moment and you see just how out of her depth she is exactly and it's and it's just a great moment and and you know like i said it's this wonderful culmination of her entire arc where you see it and and you know again just physically 
it's jarring how small Irene Cara is in that scene. Yeah, it's like it's the the false bravado that she wears throughout the film. And you, to a degree, at least I did, got the sense that that bravado was false, that she was definitely putting on this this layer so that people couldn't reach the real her, the reason why she didn't want to know, let people know where she lived and everything like that. But when once all of that is stripped away, first of all, this the pornographer comes there and just gives her the seed of hope just just feed, feeds on all of the you know the 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 facade that she has put up and she she it at at that moment is a teenager it's like yes 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 um and then once all that is is stripped away right there in, in front of the camera it's a, it's a very mesmerizing scene so um this may easily be uh, Irene Caro's uh, best work, and it's not to be—it's not to be missed. Hey, hey, hey! Slow down. We haven't seen DC Cab yet. That's got Mr. T and Adam Baldwin in it. You're right. You're right. We haven't seen her act against Mr. T and Adam Baldwin. Um, All right, our- slow down, you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, we've danced around it a, a, a little bit. Let's get into the enigma that is Gene Anthony Ray, who probably is the most yeah. lasting um, yeah. part of fame. Uh, we spoke about, you spoke about how the subject of Montgomery's sexuality was, you know, kind of alluded to. And, yes. and, and, and while it is put out there, it's not put out there in any type of more mannered way in this film. Yes. And then there's Gene Anthony Ray. <laughs> so the running commentary at my house, my wife said that when she was little, she had a crush on um, Gene Anthony Ray mm-hmm. and Leroy. And my daughter spent the entire film asking my wife, Kate, clearly he's gay. (laughs) You didn't know he was gay? Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the thing. Anthony Ray. (laughs) Well, first of all, I believe, even though I don't think it's ever been said determinately, that the actor Gene Anthony Ray is gay. And I think he. I believe so. Yeah, I think he's he, he was it, in his lifetime because he did pass away in two thousand three. Um, yes, I think he was purposefully very ambiguous about that. Right. Right, which usually means you're gay. <laughs> okay. The film, I think, tries to, without saying it, play it both ways, because to me. The film wants him to be playing straight. I mean, I think there there certainly is the illusion of the relationship between him and Coco. And right. And he's straight at least once. And he's straight at least once with the French girl. We know that right. much. Yet, right. Yet, if you watch him in this film, and I don't mean in when he's dancing, I just mean just watch him as he walks from scene to scene, walks the hallways of this 
of this school, walks these streets or roller skates. of the Bronx or skates throughout throughout this school. If you watch him have to be physical and 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 run, or if you if you listen to him when he has to give a line reading. He 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 reads a little. He reads gay. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is the first time I've noticed that the film itself plays with that. Yeah, like there's this wonderful moment where you know again as 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 you said the, the film covers all four years of high school. Mm-hmm. And the first day of high school, his boys drop him off. Right. And there's this moment where he goes into the school with Coco. You actually see him meet Coco. Right. And his boys are, you know, and he goes and he talks to Coco. And then they show these same dudes a couple of years later. Right. And he's walking down the street and he has on a jaunty scarf. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, and 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 this is relevant because this is a plot point where early on there is some back and forth about the clothes that he wears to dance. Right, right. And at this point, he is wearing more of a traditional dancer's clothes, and his boys are actually calling him gay. Yeah, and and using some, you know, race, you know, some homophobic epitaphs as as, as they were mm-hmm. about it. So. We're saying it's subtext, but it's also text. Yeah, that the film kind of toys with. It, it plays. And I, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I think that is another moment that that to to go along with what you said. I, I think there are really three main storylines in this film. There is Ralph Garcy, there is Leroy, and there is Coco. And I agree with you that of the three, Coco does kind of get the short shrift. But this is another moment that adds to the texture of Leroy. Yeah. Where where it is this kind of, we would almost say fluidity mm-hmm. to how he, you know, genders himself, not even genders himself, the way he kind of um, presents himself sexually. Right. But I think that in them trying to play it both ways, I think that is to the detriment of his story because I think also like Coco, he there's not really anything done with his story. We made a joke about it, but it's telling that from his audition to his senior year, he's basically still having the same fight. He does he can't yeah. read. He's 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 talking back like crazy to the to the English teacher um which I don't know how you get away with that played by the phenom- phenomenal uh and and Mira I've always been a, a fan of, oh, her, yeah. of her work oh yeah um the, the what plays out between him and these two women you never see him reconcile with it at any at any point you never see him offer it his story or the character offer any type of commentary, even if it's just a raised eyebrow of anything. So I think that they're trying to have it both ways with him so much that they don't know what to do with his story. And again, the other prominent black character in this film is 
story is pretty much left by the wayside and he's just allowed to be window dressing for this film, which is why he is the most iconic. Um, his is the most iconic imagery to come out of this film and thus demanded that he be in the TV series. Well, I, I think that also speaks to, again, what I see as the purpose of the film. Like this is a film that the story if it is not in service to the performances mm-hmm. is secondary. So this, the interpersonal stuff with him and Coco and him and the, you know, the dancer that he got pregnant isn't as important as, and even his illiteracy, right. Isn't important unless it benefits the dancing part. Exactly. So, you know, you get this sense that, that, well, as he says, he can't dance with Alvin Ailey unless he graduates. Coco lives in the subway, apparently, and, and solves crime when she's not in school. But it's not important. Mm-hmm. Like what's important is her at the piano, her trying to succeed. And I, I think it's a fair critique. I just think it's a critique that this film doesn't necessarily care about. Yeah. Like the film... You know, the film, that's not why I'm here at this. Like, that's not why this film is here for you. Right, right. And I think, but I think, I, I, again, I think that's to the detriment of the of the film because I think that even in his acting naivete, Gene Anthony Ray is just the, he's the energy of this movie. He, he, he is the one yeah. who you can't take your eyes off of. Um, and... And not for nothing, give it up. The man is a phenomenal dancer. He, I mean, yeah, he cannot be denied. No, like, like I thought, you know, I thought the audition is was it was just this spectacular moment because the film doesn't have to do anything. Like, you don't need musical cues. Mm-hmm. You don't need some type of camera angle. You know, a heroic camera angle to kind of to kind of give you a signal that this is what you're supposed to be thinking as the audience all you have to do is capture the performance right and there you have it again back to Debbie Allen only has like two or three lines it struck me that when the two of them are talking about his performance her and her fellow teacher they actually don't right her and her fellow teacher at the audition they actually don't say a lot. No. Who is he? Where's his form? Exactly. He's he's fierce. Leroy does his talking with his body. Yeah. Yeah. Which you know why why I think um I think it's a relevant critique as we were talking a few minutes ago about his about the way he expresses his sexuality. Mhm. And talking about his movement because that's how Leroy communicates. Yeah. So yeah, fame. All right. So Vince, I'm at, I want to ask you a question. Yes. Is this a black movie? You know what? I, I, I'm I'm still claiming it. I'm still claiming. It. I I think it's it's certainly an ensemble. And I don't know why an ensemble we can't fold under black just generally. Mm. Like if it's an ensemble and it's black people in the ensemble, how come that can't be black? So under that argument. And then uh, secondly, 
as we've as we've mentioned, I, I think the iconic performances are black. You, you know, so yes, I'm claiming it as a black film. Okay, uh, I don't know if I can I can ride with you on that one, bro. Um, that's fair. I, I hear you on the ensemble, and yes, this is an ensemble, and it does feature two black characters who are uh, prominent members of the ensemble. But when those characters' stories are not fleshed out, really, um, to it, in no way, shape, or form to the extent that the other people's, the other characters' um, backstories are fleshed out. I mean, when you think about it, you saw Leroy with his, um, with the with the, the guys who drove him to school and then they, he runs across them maybe like a year or two later. You don't see anything of Irene Cara's outside, outside um, life. And which True. is, which is the story of her outside life, which is why it's, all the more egregious that you don't see anything outside of Leroy um, with those two, those two very quick scenes. Mind you, I don't think they, they total up to 30 seconds of screen time. You don't see anything of his outside life. Meanwhile, Ralph Garcy, you see him with the students. You see him, you see his family, you see his, his sisters, his mother, by God, you even see his priest. Um, Yes. Uh, the uh, uh, um, Doris, you see her back and forth with her mother, and you, then you see her brother as well, and you see her 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 grand debut at a a children's party, which is a very a very funny scene. I enjoyed watching that. Yes. Um. So if even Bruno, you are you have the back and forth <laughs> between him and his father. You know who, who his. Who keeps coming back into the film. <laughs> His dad's actually my hero. His dad is actually my favorite character in the movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, and, and I love him, too. And, and, and God bless the actor who plays his father, Eddie Barth, who's a, another noted yeah. character actor, New York character actor. But but you you get even more of his story, and by no means is Bruno the one of the main stories of this film. Yet you still get more of his backstory than you do of Irene Cara's you know, Coco and Leroy. So I'm sorry. I can't claim this as a black film. Good film. Okay. I enjoyed it for right. the most part. I'd give it like about a three, 3.5 out of five, but I can't claim it as a black film, bro. Okay. That's fair. And, 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 for, and for black music month, the music's not black. Fame is a black song and it's hot lunch. And on my own, what are you talking about? Coco had three different songs. And then Red Light, Hot Light, okay. Out of Sight. All right, it's true. All right. I, right. And I, Irene Karras <laughs> sung them, so I guess that makes them black. All right, fair enough. Yes. Fair enough. And they sound like Donna Summer songs. They sure do. They sure do. Did you notice that? It's like, you sound like Donna Summer songs. <laughs> they sure do. They sure do. It, it was funny. I never knew that I Sing the Body Electric was a fame song. I've heard it. it oh. I never, I never knew that was a fame song. Now I know. I, yeah. I, oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't remember that from the movie. I know. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Would you recommend that? Another great moment. Another great mute moment. 
Would you recommend that people see fame, Vince? Absolutely. I would absolutely recommend that people see fame. I, I will give a little disclaimer. If you've never seen fame and you've got like a 10, 11 year old and you're going to watch is a movie about some kids at the art that the performing arts school. Again, this is a gritty movie. It is this rated is a R. gritty movie. And, and this, and this is a 1980 R. <laughs> so this is a real R. Exactly. This is a gritty movie right here. Exactly. I, I have, but I very much would recommend it. I yeah. have to say now there, I will agree with you. I would recommend people see this film. Um, an, uh, it's a good film. It's, uh, the story, you know, I, I, I can even ride with you when you're saying like how the the bits of unknown that this story gives you is something to be championed because is isn't that high school. You know, you don't know what's mm-hmm. what's next. So um, I can ride with you on that. And also I'll ride with you that this film is a bit of a time capsule for a New York that you haven't seen in quite a long time. Times Square looks yeah, nothing like what it does in this film. So... Yeah, I would definitely uh, definitely invite you to check this out, ladies and gentlemen. Check out Fame from 1980. Right. 1980. 1980. There was a remake yes. in the 2000s that you may d- d- stay away from that. Let's. <laughs> I thought we all decided that didn't happen. Mm, yeah, well. Like, you notice it came out and then it was gone in like two days. Yes. And then we all decided it never happened. <laughs> it's like Godfather 3. Oh, if only. <laughs> if only. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Um, before we tell you what we are going to be watching all month long as our celebration of African American Music Appreciation Month, a.k.a. Black Music Month. <laughs> or Black Music Month. <laughs> I feel like I need to say that because Barack named it that. You know what I mean? Hey, you don't got to say that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You slipped up on this one, Barack. I love you, bruh. You <laughs> slipped on this one. You should have just left it Black Music Month. We know. Uh, we know. African-American. African-American Appreciation Month. <laughs> like, was something wrong with Black Music Month? Anyway, before we tell you what we're going to be watching for the rest of the month, ladies and gentlemen, I invite you once again to follow the Michelle Mission on social media and Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, any place that you socialize with media, you'll find the Michelle Mission under Michelle Mission. And in the Facebook group, Michelle Mission of the same name, where we have a lot of fun talking back with our missionaries who give us news updates of what's going on. And we have commentary on all things black movies movies and even more so in that Facebook group so come join the missionaries come and have some fun the show mission is available as a podcast on michaudemission.com and any place and every place that you find podcasts including the podglomerate podcast network the podglomerate curated podcast for your listening pleasure we're also available as a radio show every saturday at 1 p.m on wppm 106.5 fm philly cam people power media here in the city of philly cam brotherly love and sisterly affection where i invite you all to go to phillycam.org shout out to our um 
to the radio team there and the TV team who are doing yeoman work, bringing uh, everyone the news of what's happening in the Philadelphia streets right now in these crazy yes, times. Yes, sir. Go to phillycamp.org and get your updates on what's happening in Philadelphia. Ground level stuff. You, you do not want to miss it. We're also available every Monday morning at 9 a.m. on WKDU 91.7 FM, the voice of Drexel University here in the city of brotherly love. All right, Vince. All right. All month long is Black Music Month. We've said it, and that's what it's going to be. And that means that we are going to be celebrating Black Music next week when we sit down to watch Dream Girls. Oh. That's oh. right. Beyonce, Jennifer oh. Hudson, Eddie Murphy. Mm. You are you really finished? Are you who really not going to well, Anika Noni Rose? <laughs> yes, sir. I'm gonna just tell you right now. One of the problems with Dream Girls, <laughs> not enough. Not enough for Nika Noni Rose. We gonna start there. That's what. We're what wa- year was that, Lynn? What year was that? Two thousand what? I believe that was two. We had to. T- I think that was two thousand and six. If I if I believe uh-huh. correctly, we had the technology. A Nika Noni Rose could have played all three roles. <laughs> Yes, 2006, Dream Girls. We are going to be <laughs> reviewing next week on the Michelle Mission. Um, oh, we, we, oh, Melissa Gumps, how, how you doing? All the way from the Netherlands said that we were forgetting Jennifer Hudson. Oh, trust me, I did not forget Jennifer. I thought Jennifer, you said Jennifer Hudson. I did not you forget didn't say Jennifer, Jennifer Hudson. Um, I did, trust me, I did not forget <laughs> Jennifer Hudson. Jennifer Hudson easily, easily top five with Lynn. Will I will never forget Jennifer Hudson. Trust me, trust me. Oh yeah, yeah. There's gonna be a lot of man moments next week on the Michelle Mission between Anika Noni Rose and Jennifer Hudson. I'm telling you, we're gonna be dreaming of girls. All right, that's right. Whoo boy! All right, then in the weeks to follow, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be watching in order. From 2012, we're going to be watching the final feature film performance of the late Whitney Houston as we watch Sparkle from 2012. Mm. And then we end things with 1992's Whitney Houston Triumph, The Bodyguard. All right. So that is what's coming. Quite musical. Yes, that's what's coming your way during Black Music Month here on the Michaud Mission so that you can follow along and watch these films. I know you own the DVDs, so just fire them up and watch these films along with us. Okay, please do. All right. Until next week, he's Vince. I'm Len. And in parting, we say we'll see you when it's time to meet again.
Now it's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.